Alright, I sent them a new I sent them a new link too. Oh. <clears throat> okay. I don't know. Do you have a cell phone number? Do you have a Kara cell phone number? Call him real quick. Just tell him to check his email and go to that link. Did you not? Hey, sorry. So um, weird. Dennis just sent you a link. I'm literally. Can you follow the link? Living in a fucking ulterior yeah. universe. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I didn't think she would. Yeah. And then, then, like, she just comes, like, oh, I'm just going to go and, like, uh, meet up with, like, Heather and somebody else. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? And she's like, oh, it's so and so's girlfriend. I'm like, whatever, dude. What fucking ever. She's like trying to be like nice about it. And I'm like, she's like, I'm not really drinking. I don't know what your problem is. And I'm like, your problem is I got a kid screaming now at 12 30 in the morning. Mommy! And I'm trying to sleep. So I was up for like two and a half hours. And two other kids came down and interrupted my sleep. I was up late 30 if you want to try to catch up on sleep. And she's like, like, eh, no big deal. She knows I'm fucking hot. And she's like really scared of me right now. I'm like, I'm just like, she knows she's wrong. But she don't give a fuck. Who are you? Oh, today she's like, Mom, let's go change the sheets in the bed. Let's go get things to do. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck. And I'm just like, what am I getting? Eddie, how? Hey, Mike. He's not. Oh, you know, I just found out. Hold on a second, I'll put this on mute for a second, Mike. Give me one second. You look nice. What's up? I was trying to look for the Goodfellas video. The girls didn't see it. Oh, I have it saved. Don't you worry. Yeah, but I gotta know where I, I don't know where it is in the group, how it's tagged. Like if you can search the group, but I can't tag it. I have no idea. I gotta find I gotta dig it up. I have it saved on my phone. Send it to me via Messenger. Do you have an iPhone? Yes. Yeah, send it to me via Messenger on Facebook. Why you don't have an iPhone? No. <laughs> Hold on, let me find it. <clears throat> how you how you been how was your christmas it was good mike you know i'm just uh i'm a positive type of fella and i enjoy my children tremendously they have fun opening all their gifts yeah dude it was good how was your christmas good a lot, a lot of pastries yes at least at the household 
Yeah, so it's as as per the usual, it's just paste loaded up pastries. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I found it. Facebook Messenger. Yeah, send it to me via Messenger. Does Jess has a never mind, it's loading. All right, saying it's sending. All right, yeah, let it go. I'm sure I'll get it as we as we start to knock this thing out. I'll just I'll just start rock and roll. We'll get going. Okay. Fucking podcast is outrageously on fire. What do you do? What are you doing? Like one every day, dude? Because it's so popular, I got to show up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I can't like do one a week. I do like one every day, sometimes two a day. Yeah. Because there's so much momentum with the podcast. We've got like 4.8 million downloads for the year. Wow. And when did you start? 200. Dude, I fucked around with it in like March. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's fucking crazy. So, um, and Ralph Friedman's awesome on it. If you, if you don't listen to this podcast, listen to that episode. It's really good. You did that one the other day, right? Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I listened to it last night while I was working out. And I was like, oh, it's good. I actually told Jess, make sure we get Ralph once a month. His stories are great. Yeah. Oh, they were fucking beating the life out of everybody. <laughs> like <back then. laughs> 1970 in the fucking yeah. NYPD. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It says like Serpico era. They were, out, they were out of their minds. Yeah. All right. Let's fucking do this. Hey, guys. Welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, CEO and founder of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benito. Today we have with me. One of our very first instructors to join the team here, he teaches our criminal, let me back up, let me do this again, shoot, cut it from here. Hey guys, welcome to the Street Cop Training Podcast. My name is Dennis Benito, I'm the founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. Today I have with me Mike Vaccaro, he is one of our first instructors with the company. He teaches um, a class called Criminal Map Training, and the map stands for Motel, Airport, Parcel, and Parking Lot Interdiction. It's a real amazing spin on the things that are going on right in front of your face. And through Mike's training, there have been some of the most profound seizures and, and, and events and incidents that people didn't even know was unfolding right in front of their faces. So Mike's here today to tell us about some of that stuff and some of the things that he does. So without further ado, the one, the only Mike Vaccaro. Mike. What's, what's up, guys? I'm glad to join. Um... Dennis posted probably, I don't know, two weeks ago looking for podcast suggestions and Skylar Green down in Oklahoma recommended I come on and talk about parcels. So I did it at the conference and just not a lot of people know about it. And often I get people reaching out to me on Facebook, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, and they're asking like, well, what all can you get from a parcel? They're thinking a couple grams of weed or, you know, some stolen items. They're not familiar with it. They wouldn't even know where to start the investigation, but it's beyond that. You could do one parcel job and hit four or five kilos of Coke or upwards of $100,000 in cash. That's not likely with the cash users. The cash users we're seeing coming through UPS, FedEx, Postal, or anywhere between five 
and $15,000. And the reason why that's happening is you send one parcel at $100,000 and it gets taken off. What are you going to do next time? Instead of sending one parcel at $100,000, you're going to send 10 that each have $10,000 in them. So if you get one taken off, you're losing 10,000 instead of 100,000. So it's a whole world that that's literally untapped uh, parcels, airports, and motel, hotel, motel. And that's where Dennis and I got started with the criminal map training and the people that reach out across the country to me and the agencies I get to. And just hearing some of the success stories, it's, it's only a matter of time until more officers start picking up on this and start doing it. Let me ask you a question. Um, I don't know how much you want to give us on a background of who you are and your biography. You can redact any information that you want to. Um, you can just say, you can keep some, some things vague, but maybe you can give a little detail as to what your assignment is and things like that. So I am a law enforcement officer in Pennsylvania, and I'm the supervisor of essentially an interdiction unit that strictly deals with hotel motels, airports, parcels, and mass transportation, trains, and buses. Mm. I want to say I have five guys on my unit, including myself, and I want to say 80% of the jobs we do are surrounded by parcels, and then the other percentage is broken up between airports and then followed by hotel, motel. And all of these jobs, whether it's airport, parking lot, or sorry, airport, hotel, motel, or parcels are always leading to a parking lot somewhere. And you could, uh, Rios, um, he does the undercover. If you take his class, all the jobs he does lead back to a parking lot. Any of this big time interdiction stuff, whether it's at a storage unit or interdiction, highway interdiction, it's coming across the country and it's landing in a parking lot or a hotel until that dope's ready to be dropped off or picked up because they're not bringing you to the stash house in order to to meet and do the exchange. You're meeting in a parking lot, somewhere where they could remain anonymous and just blend in with everyday traffic. You know, it's interesting. I think one, one thing people will be surprised to hear is the amount of narcotics and illegal contraband that is transported through the airport. I think a lot of people are under the impression that stuff doesn't make it onto planes because of TSA. Can you shed some light onto some of that stuff? Yeah, so that's that's a big misconception as well, like you said. And before I was assigned to the unit, you know, you drive to the airport to fly out, whether you're flying domestic or international, and you see signs while you're driving to the airport, all bags subject to search, which is bullshit. Um, they should take those signs down. And although TSA, you know, was formed after 9-11 for the incidents that happened on 9-11, they're not there looking for drugs and money. And it was probably two years ago I posted on the Street Cop page that TSA actually put out an article stating if there's bulk currency or drugs found, they're not going to notify authorities. And essentially, everybody thinks they check a bag or they go through, you know, the TSA screening and they're searching your carry-on bags. That's not the case. So if you're checking into the airport and you check a bag, you drop that check bag on a belt and it goes behind that wall, it goes through an x-ray machine. And that x-ray machine, the, first off, the TSA agents are only opening that checked bag if that checked bag alerts when it goes through the x-ray machine. And it's only alerting uh, on two things, explosives and density. So if that bag goes through the x-ray machine and there's no explosives detected in that bag and there's no density issues in that bag, that's going to continue on its way unsearched, unimaged, and TSA is just going to let it go by. So some drug trafficking organizations know exactly how to package 
this United States currency. So it's not hitting off the density meter. And you got to realize you're thinking a kilo of cocaine is dense, but how are people getting it through the airport? Dirty airline employees, whether it's the dirty people that are, you know, dealing with the bags. Because once you're an airport employee, you have a site of pass and you, you have to be, you have to go through this training to get the site of pass and you're allowed in secure areas of the airport. And you don't have to go through, through TSA if you're essentially working there. If you're flying, you still have to go through TSA. You can't use your site of pass to get through the airport. You have to check in, you have to go through TSA. But if Dennis is a TSA employee, or sorry, if Dennis is a American Airlines employee and I'm flying, I meet him on the outside of the airport. I give him a bag that has two kilos of Coke in it. He uses his site of pass to get it through TSA because essentially he doesn't have to go through TSA. He just goes through the door with his code. And then he meets me on the inside of the airport, on the inside secure area of the airport. And he hands me off that bag. And guess what? I get on the plane and fly. And that's just for kilograms because people are probably thinking, well, you said density, a kilogram is dense, but there's other ways around it. And they are screening. When you check in, they are screening and they are checking the bags because that's a carry-on bag. You have that essentially at your side or, you know, on the overhead. So they're screening that. But even so, we've had TSA call us probably two years ago now at this point with bulk currency that was in a bag. And sometimes they get through TSA. TSA doesn't even alert us. And, you know, we're interdicting them on the inside of the airport with $60,000, $70,000 in their checked bag. I've had upwards of $160,000 through TSA in a check in a carry-on bag, you know, at the gate when I ended up talking to them. So there's so many different avenues that they could get in and around the airport and TSA is not checking it. If it's go, if it's a check bag and it's not hitting on a density issue or an explosive, that bag is not being opened and it's not, that extra machine is not showing them an image. Mm. You could check the bag and essentially get anything through there as long as it's not hitting on one of those two things. And so drugs and currency is not going to hit on any one of those things, especially if they're packaging it the right way. And these drug trafficking organizations are doing it. They've done it enough to know how they should and shouldn't package their stuff to get it through the airport. Uh, it's funny. I think anything you're saying is really actually sensitive at all because you can watch a show on National Geographic called Catch a Smuggler. And that's yes. all this is about. And people are literally getting things through these airports nonstop. And the show shows you how they're doing it. And, you know, body carries and yep. all sorts of things. You know, I mean, they're, they're dirty airline employees switching bags, moving them from one conveyor to another, um, dirty TSA agents. You know, what's, what's the prequalification to become a TSA agent? <laughs> To be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not even sure, you know, I, last year I flew to, I don't know, 15 different states just with street cop alone. And every time I go through an airport, I look at the TSA agents on the other side of the secure doors, which they're supposed to be there for security. And they're sitting there with their feet up. They're not paying attention to anything going on. So if there's not proactive police officers inside these airports, conducting these interdiction efforts, stuff is going to continue to get through these airports. And I went down to Pensacola, back in May and they're crushing it down there. Even, uh, you know, he's, when he started the airport interdiction unit down there, they just been crushing it. And it's just a, you know, it's still going to happen. And, you know, there's some agencies that can't be there every day. And, you know, I have a cousin who's in the port authority up in New York and New Jersey. And she, you know, I don't think she's assigned to an airport anymore, but she would love, she'd love to, to do this. And it's just, some agencies are into it. Some agencies support it and some agencies don't, you know, there was a, post that we got 50 or 60 pounds of weed. And this is probably gonna make you laugh. And we had a tip that a guy was flying in on a last minute reservation from Los Angeles uh, to the international airport. We go out there to talk to him. We're waiting for his bag to come off the plane. What do you know? 
the bag is broken open and there's vacuum sealed bags of marijuana falling out of the bag. TSA searched it in Los Angeles and they never notified any authorities. They just tried sealing it back up and they were just going to let it go where there was nothing else in that bag besides 50 pounds of marijuana. Wow. TSA tried to seal it back up. They couldn't get the zipper all the way. So when it was coming off the belt, coming out of the belly of the plane onto the belt, we saw it. We're like, well, it's got to be this one. And it, it was his and he checked it. TSA did see that bag. They did open it and search it, just never notified any authorities. What did what like what did the agents say if they were done? Like you didn't tell anybody 50 pounds of weed was in this bag, or do you think they were involved? I just think they didn't know. If they were involved, I don't even think they would have opened it. Gotcha. I opened it, saw it, and just let it go on its way. Um, and then I posted that. Why I bring this up is I posted that in the street cop group, and somebody said, Oh, well, you know, the airport police officers are old retired guys. Yeah, I mean, the one airport we work at, they have a whole department that's there. And, you know, they're there, they're there just for uniform presence. They're not there doing interdiction efforts. They're not there proactively looking for drug trafficking organizations, smuggling stuff through the airport. So, and if you're close to an airport, get hooked up with one of the federal agencies and get on a task force and you'll be able to, you'll be able to join the task force and do interdiction efforts at the airport when they do it. And it's not every day. We weren't there in the last two weeks, you know, the airport that I work at, but when we are there, you know, we're actively proactively looking for stuff to interdict, whether it's drugs or money. And you know, sometimes there's even guns behind the secure areas of the airport. Cause once again, 30 employees. Um, do you, how often, if you start to go out into the field and do an interdiction effort, how often are you guys successful is every single time? At the airport? Yeah. No. Um, no, definitely not every time. It's 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 hit or miss. Um, there's some months where we do a couple of months and there's some months where we just have dry months, just like highway interdiction. You know, if you talk to Kenny or Brad or um, Brian, there's months where they're dry and they don't hit anything. And there's months that they have great months. So it, it just really depends. And you think it's just a matter of fact, a matter of just picking the right people and you're, you're just probably missing. So that's kind of the game, right? Yeah. Um, there's, I don't a, think it's slowing down. It's just that like, you haven't had a good choice, you know, some good picks you've missed. Correct. And sometimes you get great picks. Correct. Exactly. And the one thing I could say when COVID first hit and basically the airlines was shutting down a week into that, I want to say a couple of days before the airline shut down, um, we went out and talked to an individual that was flying from my airport to the West coast. And we went to go talk to him and, you know, it was easy because there wasn't 15,000 people walking through the airport. You know what I mean? It was easy to see that reaction. And there's so many different ways that we go about it. And there's some things I can and can't discuss here. Yeah. Yeah. Don't discuss too much sensitive stuff. Yeah. So if, if you are interested, if you are a law enforcement officer and you want to learn more about it, I have a bunch of classes coming up in 22. So, you know, hit me up on Facebook or Instagram and we'll, we'll chat further. You get to one of my classes. There's a lot of sensitive stuff. Um, and there's ways we do things and we don't do things and stuff I can discuss and can't discuss on here. So, um, but no, we're not hitting it. If we go out there every day, we're not hitting something every day. Um, there's sometimes we have a couple dry months and there's sometimes we do really well. All right. Changing gears a little bit back to the parcel stuff. I mean, how, how prevalent is contraband being moved through parcels, uh, and the big parcel companies all the time. I want to say if we were there every day and if we were there, so if we were there every day and if we were there every day with a canine, I'm most certain we would hit something. Every single day. Every single day. Um, and even days that we go there and we don't have a canine and we're just manipulating boxes and, you know, just looking at boxes as they pass us on the belt and we leave that sort 
whether it's at UPS or FedEx or DHL, we leave that sort and we didn't hit something. I'm certain that there's something we missed because you got to think about it. There's UPS moves 15 million packages a day through the one warehouse warehouse we're at. They're probably moving close upwards of 5,000 packages. You're there with two or three guys. You're not looking at every package. You're just looking at the packages that have the indicators you're looking for as they pass you. Now, there's some facilities, whether it's UPS or FedEx, that let us bring the dogs into the facility and throw them up on the belt. That makes their job so much easier. And there's some that don't. So you got to think of it this way. Would you, Dennis, would you get in a car? Would you fly on a one-way ticket from Newark over to Los Angeles, get a rental, put 15 kilos of Coke in the back and drive across country? No. Or would you get a one-way ticket from Newark to Los Angeles, go out there, pay for the dope, put it in a FedEx parcel and overnight ship it from Los Angeles back to Newark and it'll be there the next day. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? Why would you take the chance of driving it when if you're stopped, you're going to be the only one in the car and it's, it's going to be all on you. If law enforcement takes the parcel off in Los Angeles and Kentucky or at the hub in Newark, how are you going to wrap somebody to it? And that's some stuff as well that I can't discuss on here, but if, if you've taken my class, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, like you said, it's on National Geographic with uh, to catch a smuggler and they're doing control deliveries. That's essentially what we do. Um, it, it's all over the TV. So there's some stuff I can and can't discuss, but to, to cut to the chase, it's, it, that's exactly what happens. And that's how we catch on the back end. Cool. Uh, what about moving on to motel, hotel? What, how, much, how much crime is prevalent in hotel, motel? But, you know, let me back up for a second. Back to this parcel thing. I have one more question. You know, I think it's people hear you say, you know, moving things off a conveyor belt and blah, 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 and, and having a, a sort facility. But do you have to have a sort facility in order to employ uh, some tactics? Or can you have like a UPS store or your local post office? And which ones are you allowed to work with? What's the jurisdictional issues? Anything like that? So that's essentially going to come down to most likely going to come down to personalities, not company policy. So for me up here where I work, uh, we have great relationships with UPS and FedEx. Um, the easiest thing you could do if you're a law enforcement officer, go into Google Maps and type in shipping and receiving. And that's going to pop up all the warehouses, whether it's a UPS warehouse or a FedEx warehouse. And it's also going to show you all the storefronts. So if your jurisdiction is just a township or if your jurisdiction is just a county and you don't have a warehouse in your jurisdiction. But once again, if you type in shipping, excuse me, if you type in shipping and receiving and you look for the actual storefronts, there's going to be a storefront probably in your jurisdiction. You could go there and make contacts at the storefronts, go there, make contacts and just talk to people. It's, you got to be, especially when you're talking to, to criminals, not as far as, you know, people you're talking to and, you know, storefront employees, you got to be comfortable talking to people. You have to be able to have a relationship with somebody and build a rapport with them, whether that's somebody you're trying to interdict or talk to or have a consensual encounter with, or that's somebody you're trying to get to work with you, um, whether it's at a hotel, motel, at the airport, or at a parcel facility. You just have to be comfortable asking uncomfortable questions, especially when it comes to interviewing people you're trying to interdict. And if, if you type that in, shipping and receiving, it's going to show you the warehouses and it's going to show you the shipping stores. Make con if you have them both in your jurisdiction, you have a gold mine. Make contacts at both of them. Go in there, let them know who you are, let them know that you're with the police department and what you're looking to do. You're looking to do interdiction efforts at their facilities because across the country, we've seen an uptick in controlled substances being shipped in and around the country and even international into the United States. 
um, through UPS, FedEx, DHL, and Postal. The one thing with Postal is you have to have a Postal inspector on board. So you could go into a post office. You really can't do much work there. Just go into a post office, drop your business card to the clerk and say, hey, can you have the Postal inspector give me a call? Um, but there's so many different facilities. And there's even mom and pop shipping stores besides you know, UPS and FedEx. Staples does shipping for FedEx and UPS as well. So you could go into the Staples and make contacts there. And uh, once again, there's some stuff I can and can't discuss. If you take my class, we'll talk about everything that goes on at, the, at these facilities and what to talk to these employees about. Cool. All right, moving on to hotel, motel. I think most people have a hotel or a motel in their jurisdiction. What are some of the things that people can't anticipate they would find focusing some efforts into the hotel motel field? So every, so every time there's a hotel motel interdiction post on the street cop page, people talk how it shoot, talk about how it's shooting fish in a barrel. And yes, essentially it is. If, you know, I drove down to South Carolina back in July and by the time I got from Jersey to Maryland, I lost count of all the hotels right off the highways. And there's always a post like, oh, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah, I'm a police officer. You were a cop. Any one of us, and my wife's, my wife's a teacher, any one of us could sit at the, the red roof, and especially somebody that's not law enforcement, we could sit at the red roof or the Denny's across the street from the red roof and be like, okay, three dudes just went into room 100, and they were in there for two minutes. They probably bought a couple bags of dope. Or in room 500, there was three males within the last four hours. There's probably a prostitute inside. Anybody could do that. That's not what we're looking for. There's crime happening every day at hotels, whether it's, you know, prostitution, sex trafficking, you know, small drug sales. Like I said, people just going in and buy a couple bags of dope. What we're looking for is the drug trafficking organizations that are moving from point A to point B and they're laying their head at a hotel motel for one or two nights. And they're just laying their head there for one or two nights before or until their dope is ready to be dropped off or their money's ready to be picked up. That's what we're dedicating our time to at these hotel motels. You know, we could go there all day and stop cars that are just going there to do, you know, a couple bundle sales or going there to buy a couple eight balls of Coke. We could do that every day, any day, but that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for, once again, the higher drug trafficking organizations that are moving from point A to point B. They're getting through all the interdiction officers across the country and they're just laying their head in your city at your hotel for the night until their dope's ready to be dropped off or their money's ready to be picked up and they're on their way. They're not causing a problem. They're not causing a problem with the clerk. They're not smoking weed on the third floor of the nights in. They're trying to lay low and just blend in with, you know, the regular public. Do you think it's within somebody's reach, even in a patrol capacity, to actually impact and affect and interdict something like this and interfere with something like this if they had the proper training? Correct. hundred percent. And just because you're in uniform doesn't mean you can't do it. It's just as just making those contacts. There's so many different ways to do hotel motel jobs, making contacts, sitting and watching the parking lot, sitting and watching the hotels. Even if you're in a marked car or an unmarked car, there's so many ways about it. And yes, if you're in uniform, you can hundred percent start doing hotel motel investigations. And I get that message all the time. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm in uniform. Can I do this? Yeah. Is it going to look unusual if there's a marked car outside of the red roof? No, go in there and just talk to them. If somebody comes in and starts, you know, trying to check in or whatever the case is, let them do their thing, stop talking. And, you know, if somebody comes out of the bathroom, you didn't know they were in the room, make believe you're investigating a theft or something, or you're just making contacts there. You know, you don't have to disclose everything we're looking for all the time. Yeah. I think that people should really, as they're getting enthused to put some of this stuff to work, they should really consider 
and again, this is not a, a, a cheap plug, but consider taking training like Mike's or something similar to Mike's where you can really get a good understanding. So you're not going in cold and trying to figure it out yourself and just you know, taking a swing at it. Mike's program is available online on demand at straightcop.com. And you can take that training program and the next day go out and start deploy these tactics. And what people don't realize is, and I think it's a lot of um, really giving people perspective of what why you would do something like this is the money seizures. What happens when you seize large-scale money on some of these, these efforts and investigations? So most of the time, and, and it, it truly depends, and I don't know who I was explaining to it last week or the week prior. Somebody reached out to me. They said, well, when you hit $100,000, whether it's at uh, hotel, motel, very uncommon in parcels to get money seizures that high. I think we've had two of them. But hotel, motel, or an airport, what's happening? Either they are, just, just like roadside, they're either saying, nope, it's not mine, I want a receipt for it. And people ask, well, why do they want a receipt for it if it's not theirs? Because when they get to where they got to go and they owe, let's say I owe Dennis $100,000 that I just sold for, you know, selling a couple kilos of Coke or whatever it is. And I get to him and I don't have that money. I want to give him a receipt saying, hey, the police department sees this. I'm off the hook for it. The police department has it. So they'll ask for a receipt or they'll just completely wipe their hands of it. It's not mine. It wasn't my bag. I have no idea what you're talking about. And when they completely, when they abandon it or they say it's not theirs, it's easy as far as asset forfeiture goes because they're not coming to fight it. And that goes, obviously it goes through the legal proceedings. And once it gets through that, that money goes right into training, right into funding police departments, right into buying you guys equipment, whatever the case is. And, you know, if you're working it with other agencies, uh, federal task force or whatever the case is, you know, it's all split up between the different agencies, but you're, you're still getting a chunk of it. And actually we brought Bob out to one of the jobs we did, uh, Becca's wife, Becca's husband or Becca's husband. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, to one of the jobs we did and he had a great time doing it and his department got a cut of the money seizure that we did. And his department's all about it. Well, sure they are now because they got a taste. Yeah. Right, like, why, like, why wouldn't you, you already have the dog, you already have the police officer. Why wouldn't you assign them to one of these federal task forces? And when you hit a hundred thousand dollars, if your agency gets a check cut for $20,000 from, you know, illicit money, you know, proceeds of unlawful activities and there's nobody to fight it. And it's going right into an account. It's split up between all the departments. Well, guess what? Bob's department can now buy his canine more equipment or the whole patrol unit, more rifles, you know? Yeah, dude, I, people don't realize that. And I think people, uh, it's, it's just very interesting to me. I would, um, I've got a lot of thoughts and theories on it, but you know, essentially any agency can get on board with this, especially an agency who should, who may be uh, experiencing some indigency where they can't buy proper equipment. This is a great way to start to go out and procure revenue. And, and again, it's not like you're, you're picking on people who are not committing criminal activities. These are criminals who are there and uh, they're ripe for the picking. And if they have cash, it's going to be your cash. And that's part of the deal when you're a criminal involved in a criminal enterprise is that if you get caught, we're taking your shit because it's illegal. We're not taking your shit. If you're doing legal things. Yep. And I tell people that. If you actually take Wayne Camagno's class called Seize the Cash, and he's done a podcast episode, you know, people always ask that question of like, how do you know money's illegal? And the, the answer is, is just ask them how they got it. Really, if you stop me, you know, recently I built a pavilion in my backyard, right? And you've seen it. It's a nice yeah. pavilion, but it was expensive. And I went to the bank and I withdrew cash to pay the guy who built the pavilion. Uh, and I withdrew a, a formidable amount of money. And if you would have stopped me, and said, so, do you have cash? And you go, yeah, here, here's the, the, uh, let's just call it for a ballpark figure. Uh, and I'm, this is not relevant. I'm just going to use any crazy number, $25,000. Yeah. 
you have any money on you, sir? Yeah, I got 25 grand. Okay, we're, uh, why do you have 25,000 in cash? Well, look, here's the guy who just built my pavilion. Here's my receipt. Here's my bank account. This is how I make money. I mean, I'm not hiding anything from you. I took it out of the bank legitimately. The guy's at my house. I'm literally going to pay him now versus like, I don't know, I work at Taco Bell, right? Who, who Taco Bell has $25,000 in cash, right? Nobody. Exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up because I did a class down in Kansas and there was one officer. He's like, well, how do you take people's money? And I went into explaining that. I'm like, listen, this isn't a seize the cash class, but it's, it's easy to determine if it's you know, proceeds of unlawful activities, or if it's legitimate, if I stop you, like you said, and you just went to the bank, like we stopped somebody at the airport, a professional gambler flying out to Las Vegas. Um, and he hit some of the indicators that we look for some of the criteria that we that he met that made us want to go talk to him, we went to go talk to him. And the first thing he said is, listen, I'm a professional gambler, I'm going out to Vegas, I got $150,000 in the bag. God bless you. If you go out there and blow $150,000, God bless you. And he was like you said, he was able to produce a receipt, he withdrew the money. Why he didn't withdraw it out there, I have no idea. Um, he withdrew the money. Well, hold on. I, maybe I could say that maybe he had to do something that just to give some, I've taken out large sums of cash. You got to order it sometimes. You can't just True. show up at Wells Fargo and ask for 150 grand. Sometimes Correct. I go there and I'm, I need like six, seven grand for something. And, and I'm like, it. they'll have that, but they'll like, you got to call ahead. You got to order it like a day or two before. And then you got to, dude, you got to remember the, the banks have timers on the vaults. Yeah. So you can't just call and say, like the cell phone stores. You can't go into a cell phone store and say, give me an iPhone. They go, well, the next vault release is an hour from now. You got to hang out for a little bit. Or, the, or that vault release is only, same thing with the banks. They only open those main vaults on timers like two, three times a day. Yeah, and some so banks, don't, some banks yeah. don't even carry that amount of currency. No, you got to order it. It gets delivered. Yeah, yeah. and like, like he said, you know, he showed it to me. He showed the receipts. He pulled up the mobile banking. Like everything was there. He's legitimate. You look him up, he's a professional gambler. You know, he's going out there to play a poker game. Like you, you could look everything up. He was telling you it's legitimate. I'm not taking his money. It, right. Granted, it was a large sum of money, but I'm not taking it. And going back, I don't mean to backpedal, but you talked about other agencies, you know, getting in on, you know, the federal task force or whatever, just doing interdiction efforts. If you are part of, you know, a task force, whether it's a federal or local task force, and you start doing money seizures with them, the one thing I ask is don't get into a pissing match with your department's going to take 20%. Mine's going to take 50%. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not going into our personal accounts. It's going into the law enforcement account. It's going into the account from the police department. It doesn't matter who gets what percentage. You know what I mean? So I, I just wanted to throw that out there. It doesn't matter. It's not going to our account as long as we split it up. If your department wants to take 50% of it, I'm only getting 10%. I don't care. As long as we continue to work together in the future and we could continue to have a good relationship, then I'm all about it. I'm not going to get into a pissing match over what, the, what percentage my department's getting as opposed to your department. It doesn't matter. As long as we're taking the money from the, the people that are selling drugs or involved in unlawful activities, it doesn't matter. We're still winning at the end of the day. What are some of the things, let's move over into now parking lot stuff. And again, you don't have to reveal a lot of sensitive things in nature, but there's an episode of National Geographic. I think it's uh, another, another like drugs inc or something like that. But this one was namely on the the currency moving around the country and i actually show, show some clips of it in my two-day i'm sorry my one-day proactive patrol course and they they tap into and show and expose what's going on in parking lots and big box stores and stuff like that so maybe you can just give us a little brief as to what's happening there and some of the efforts so some people might have these these big box store parking lots like ah, oh, i don't have any main roads going through my town i'm not hitting anything 
what are some of the things that are going on? How frequently do you think those things are happening? All the time. And like I mentioned earlier, if, if you uh, had the opportunity to take uh, Rios's class yet, um, he talks about it as well. And it's, it's either happening, they're getting through all these interdiction officers across the country. And if they're not laying their head at a hotel motel, then guess what? They're ready to meet that day. They're meeting in a parking lot, a Walmart parking lot, a Home Depot parking lot. And if you're just there watching, whether you're set up across the street, makes make it look like you're eating lunch at the Little Caesars or whatever the case is, and you're just watching the parking lot, you're going to be able to quickly tell the normal motoring public and the, the individuals that are involved in some sort of criminal activity. And, you know, my unit does this as well. Like, if we don't have a hotel job, you know, if we haven't had anything at the airport recently and we're not doing parcels, like, we lay off parcels the last two weeks in December because of Christmas. So we haven't been there in the last couple of weeks because, you know, Christmas and all the boxes being shipped, we'll go sit on parking lots and just watch. It's going to be, you're going to quickly determine the one individual parks their car, they get a shopping cart, they go into Target or they go into Walmart. They're out 30 minutes later, they return the shopping cart, they put the bags in their car and they drive away. Obviously they're normal motoring public. They're just regular citizens, not involved in any sort of criminal activity. And you're going to be sitting there. You're going to get this rental that pulls up in the back park of the part of the parking lot. He's going to back in and he's going to sit there for a half hour. And guess what? Another car is going to pull up on the other side of the parking lot. A couple minutes is going to go by because they're probably placing phone calls to see what car you're in, what car I'm in. They're going to meet up somewhere in the middle. And guess what? You're going to see a hand, whether the dude from car A jumps out and puts a bag in the back of car B and they part ways. Then guess what? If you're in a marked car, follow one of them. If you have a couple units, follow both of them. Find a reason to get them traffic stopped and go about your investigation. If, if you're in plain clothes, obviously, you know, have a marked car with you to, that, to conduct that traffic stop. Or, you know, you could do a consensual encounter if they eventually stop again at a gas station, wherever the case is, if you don't have a marked car with you. But mm -hmm. happening all the time, I can't tell you how many times we've had people from storage units call us. They call us with some information. We get set up on it and we take them and where do they lead us? Guess what? Right to a Home Depot parking lot and they pull up right next to a rental out of New York City out of New York. And, you know, we watch whatever, whatever's happening go down. And then we take our enforcement action the way we're going to take it, whether it's a traffic stop or a consensual encounter. Interesting. It's good stuff, man. There's a, you know, people tend to, I think, get jaded in their efforts thinking that there's only one way to do it, but there's multiple ways to do it. Multiple things going on. I don't think no matter where you work, there's any shortage of crime going on in your area. There is. And even when I was in patrol, I would sit like, if I was assigned to the township, I would sit in the township and everybody who has a Walmart in their jurisdiction knows it's just retail thefts all day. So I would sit across the street from the Walmart and just watch. And like I said, you'd be able to quickly be able to tell people going in there to shop, people going to the hair salon across the street, whatever the case is. This one car came in, went around the back, parked in the back corner, staying away from all the cameras. I immediately thought they were going to be involved in some sort of retail theft. They played musical seats. There was two males and a female. They eventually, one dude goes into the Walmart. He's in the breezeway. He doesn't actually go into the actual store. He's in between the two doors. He gets out. The other male does it on the other grocery side entrance. So I'm thinking, what, what's going on? So I thought it was going to be a retail theft. So I set up on him. They were there doing that for probably 15, 20 minutes. And what do you know? They get back in the car and they pull away. They end up rolling a stop sign. This is when I was in uniform. I get them traffic stopped and their stories were garbage. It was a male driver, male passenger, and then a female in the back seat. The female told me the driver was her cousin. The driver told me the female was, was her friend or her, her boyfriend. So 
obviously you're going to get conflicting stories and information when you start doing interviews there, you know, I quickly developed reasonable suspicion. I asked for consent. They branded me consent. I got a gun, you know, nothing huge, a couple grams of meth and like a thousand dollars, but that's just sitting there and watching abnormal stuff. The stuff that doesn't make sense. You sit there long enough and all the stuff that makes sense and normal is going to be like, Oh, that's going to happen. That's normal. And you're going to get this one, this one situation, this one instance. It's like, this makes no sense. Let me see what's going on. You have to be comfortable asking uncomfortable questions. It's interesting. There's a lot of times the United States Supreme Court and even even Supreme Courts of states will use a term called an officer would be derelict in his duties or her duties to not investigate things that look like this. And, you know, even if it's a hunch at that point, that something's not right, you can employ a pretextual stop to at least stop that vehicle and get yourself a little closer and a little more time to uh, go in and be a little more intrusive and find out what's going on. And I always tell people, it's worth the traffic stop just to get a, some eyes on inside the car what's going on. And it'll, it'll reveal a lot to what's happening. And, and legally, you're permitted to do that. That's called a pretextual stop supported by Ren v. United States. And that is a case that is not, um, that has not been overturned. It was challenged by a case called Arkansas v. Sullivan um, in, the, in the early 2000s. And they basically told them, beat feet, take a hike, and you're not, uh, you, have, you have nothing to do with um, you know, it, we, we, pretextual stops are so overly important for law enforcement to be able to employ. And it's so funny because you get these poly, liberal politicians who are pushing the, the programmatic ending of pretextual stops, but it's completely wrong. It's actually what you want to do is actually get cops trained on pretextual stops to avoid any other kind of issues in the future. That's where you want. It's a very effective tool. And as a matter of fact, I think it comes with really no side effects. As long as people are trained appropriately on what to what they need to be employing uh, in a pretextual stop, there is there is there is nothing there's going to be collateral damage. Believe me, but you got to have training on it. You know, correct. And like you said, within a couple minutes of conducting that traffic stop for the Walmart I was sitting on, you're going to be able to determine quickly if there's no criminal activity going on or if they're involved in some sort of criminal activity. You could ask Kenny, Brad, Brian, Rob, any of the interdiction officers across the country. They know within the first couple of minutes if they have something or if they don't. And it's yeah, I, I always tell people like a guy like Kenny who's so, you know, and, and all of them, they're so good at it that they probably have reasonable suspicion enough to support a delay in the traffic stop before they even stop the car or if or when they walk up on it. Literally, you will have plenty of reasonable suspicion at that point, but based on the training and experience. So you can get that good. It just takes tenacity, time, and effort and a commitment to being that good. To and get training, good. yeah. You know, I try to remind everybody. None of us, including myself, who I'm not proclaiming to be the best interdiction officer there ever was, but you know, I was a good cop, and none of us came out of the academy knowing what to do. But I think collectively, all the instructors here made a dedication that they envisioned themselves doing something in a career where they took their skills, talents, and intelligence and employed it and put the effort towards becoming these people who are known for doing these things. You know what I mean? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's real. So guys don't get disheartened. It's just, it's a matter of making a decision of saying, I'm going to be this person and we have the resources to help you, to help get you there. There's a reason why we taught 30,000 cops last year as a, as a, as an entity. Um, you know, it's because, or I say this year, it's actually 2021 still for a day. Tomorrow's New Year's Eve. Um, <laughs> you know, but you know, this is, there's a reason why these training programs are, in place is because we want to share our knowledge with everybody to get you better at this so you can go and 
thrive in a career you envisioned having. It's really what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, I think we covered quite a bit. I don't think it's the last time that we'll we'll do something together. But um, is there any last minute things you want to throw in there? Um, not not that I could think of. Nope. That's a key phrase. Yeah. If you have any, if you have any questions, reach out to me. Uh, whether it's Facebook Messenger or Instagram. Um, if you're part of the group, then uh, we can have a conversation. We could we could go from there. But how about um, your email address? Uh, Mike at streetcop.com. Cool. And you'll be the dude, you're the OG. You'll be Mike at streetcop.com. You you won't have to have a last name associated. We just be Mike at streetcop.com. But the next mics that come along, they're gonna have to have their last names in the uh in the yep. title in our G suite. Anyway, man. Um guys, check out Street Cop Training uh on our Facebook group, our Instagram, check out all upcoming courses at streetcop.com. Yeah, I'm proud to say that I believe that there are a lot of training companies in the country that do a good job. There's some that don't. But I really hang my hat on the fact that we have a phenomenal training product in any course that you take and the, the threshold is set high, the bar is set high. We do not employ training courses that are subpar. And we do our best to ensure that when you show up and you take a course being taught by somebody who is wearing the logo of this company, you can rest assured that you're going to get something of extreme value. And that's that's what I, what I do. And I'm patient with that as well. So follow us on Instagram. Guys, if you like this training program and this podcast, go on to iTunes, leave us a review. Anywhere you can leave us a review, it helps us tremendously. We do a lot of this stuff on the cuff. There's no, I don't have sponsorships on here where, where we're generating revenue. I'm, I've deflected a lot of sponsorships for your benefit. And all I ask in return as a VIG is to either tell another law enforcement officer about our training program or give us a review. Even a Google review will help us as well. So you can check out Street Cop training on Google, throw us a five-star review, helps us out. Anyway, Mike, uh, have a happy new year, my friend, and I will talk to you. Thank you, you too. Happy new year, guys. Be safe.